Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Addictive Pod. It's your host, Adrian, here, and I'm so excited to be back. It's been a while since I recorded an episode, but I'm back on the mic, and I have a really cool episode for you guys today. I'm joined by um, an alcoholic. He is not your typical alcoholic, though. I, I don't even know if a typical exists. But uh, he served in the military, he was stationed in Alaska, and alcohol ended his career early. His recovery story is heavily influenced by a a rap group, the Insane Clown Posse. And this group, although they are incredibly vulgar and may not seem to be conducive to recovery, they actually do mask a deeper meaning. And he went on to start um, Juggalos in Recovery, which is a group specifically dedicated to fans of this band, ICP. Please join me in welcoming Frank Shea. Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing. How are you? Not bad, man. Not bad. It's good to see you. We got some good quality uh, video here finally. I know that like last time we talked, I don't know what was going on with my connection, but it was it was a little tricky to like hear each other. Uh, well, I also got a new headset and microphone, so I'm good to go. There you go. <laughs> Um, so listen, man, where does your story with addiction start? Because I sort of know how it ends from what I've talked to you about. It's really interesting where you've taken your recovery and the, the group of people that you do help. Um, but tell me a little bit about the beginning. Like when, when does your journey with alcohol and drugs begin? I actually remember the very first time I tasted alcohol. It was at my uncle's wedding. One of our family members there said, hey, you should try this. And just, I, I was like 13, 14, something like that. I took a sip of it, and I remember thinking, I didn't tell him, but I remember thinking how amazing it tasted. And I made, you know, I didn't want him to think I loved it, so I was like, ooh, that's disgusting type of thing. And uh, he was like, well, that's Captain and Coke. And that actually ended up uh, talking in long term. That ended up being my, one of my go-to drinks. Uh, is Captain and Dr. Pepper gotcha. um, when I was drinking. So This show um, is not sponsored by Coke or Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but Coke, um, if you're out there and you want to sponsor the show, definitely message me. <laughs> <laughs> Hit your boy up. <laughs> um, but the, the actual addiction didn't really start until I, after I joined the military. Um, I'm prior Air Force. Uh, I was stationed up in Alaska for my first duty station. When I was up there, I started hanging out a lot of the the way of life for the job I'm in, my aircraft mechanic, um, is, you know, you get off of a hard week work or a hard day of work. And, you know, back then we were working anywhere between a regular eight-hour shift to a 16-hour shift without, wow. you know, I can, you can, and there was one time I actually went, and one week I changed shifts three times. Wow. So I went from working, say, six to whatever. And then a day later, I ended up working, you know, three in the afternoon to whenever. And then a couple of days later, I was working, you know, night shift where I'd come in at 10 o'clock at night. So like zero so, sleep schedule. Zero sleep schedule. Yeah. So was it also partly like there's just there wasn't much to do in Alaska. How much of the factor do you think was just boredom or lack of other things to do? 
Honestly, it's probably a lot of that because in Alaska, unless you're an outdoorsy type of person, like you go hunting or fishing or, you know, out snowmobiling or something like that, or as they call it up there, snow machining. Don't ask me why, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, But I'm not, I'm a city boy. I'm from Massachusetts. I'm from south of Boston. And I was never into any of that stuff growing up. I I didn't know how to do any of that stuff growing up. So for me, it was, uh, I don't know what else to do. So I just started hanging around with these group of people that never left the dorm, the dorm that we were living in right. and, you know, ended up drinking and stuff. And in the beginning, you know, I, I would still drink and I'd get drunk really quickly. I was, I had no, um, no tolerance whatsoever for it. Um, I actually skipped over a major part of my story. Um, the first time I ever actually got drunk. Um, back, so I was in tech school for the Air Force, and we were driving from Wichita Falls, Texas, to Phoenix, Arizona. It was me and, like, five other people that we were all in the same class, you know, just going to our our next school, and we had to stop twice. The first night, I had, um... Just, uh, I think I had one Corona and one mixed drink, and I just went to bed, no big issue. And I woke up the next day, I'm never drinking again, you know, the the normal, mm-hmm. you know, every alcoholic that says, you know, I'm never drinking again. Well, the next day I swore, all day long I was swearing up and down I wasn't ever going to drink again, and... At 9 o'clock at night, we were at a hotel, and I knew the guys next door were drinking, and I was like, I'm going to go see what they're doing, you know? And I walked in, and I was like, I want three shots. No chaser. Just just give it to me right now. Yeah. And so I did three shots of Captain Morgan straight to the head. No chaser, no nothing. Just, just took it. And then I had, like, three other mixed drinks and a couple other shots. And I started drinking a beer. They had Corona there. And I remember the neck of the bottle being gone. And then I remember looking at the cable box in the hotel room and it was 9.30. I drank oh. all that at 9.30 for in a half an hour. And then that's the last thing I remember of the night. I don't remember nothing else. I woke up. I had no cigarettes. I had puke all over me. Uh, I had the guys had taken videos of me laying in my own puke, blowing bubbles in it and stuff. Like, it was just... Oh, it was, yeah. it was horrible. Um, that was the first time I actually blacked out, and that was my first time getting actually drunk. And then, um, so I should have took the warning signs there, but oh, I was young, I was having fun, you know, who cares? Um, and then, you know, the story just kept going and going and going, and... Looking back on um, that first time, like, what do you think was going on? Why do you think you drank so much, and you had a different sort of approach to drinking than most people your age at that point looking back it was because the way alcohol made me feel i well the lack of feeling that i had i didn't have to process emotions i didn't have to process problems i didn't have a care in the world when i was drinking yeah and looking back i realized and i've realized this in my recovery that the main reason my addiction is to alcohol wasn't the alcohol was never actually the problem Mm. my problem was that i was trying to escape from 
my past, how to deal with emotions, the trauma that I went through as a child. When I was growing up, my mother was mentally ill, um, bipolar. She was misdiagnosed as schizophrenic when I was a child. She was on like 30 pills a day. Like, like she had papers saying that she, she's just not good in, in the head. And uh, one of her therapists said that mentally and emotionally, she will never grow past the age of 17. Wow. And I mean, after, you know, she went through a bunch of changes in her life and stuff, she started growing and maturing and all this cool stuff because she, she did a lot of personal life changes. But if I, rem- if I remember the story correctly, those changes did not start truly happening in her life until after I uh, yelled at her for getting blacked out drunk and waking up with bruises and not knowing how she got them. Wow. So I there was alcohol. Out. There was already alcohol in the family. Like there was definitely some my, alcohol abuse. Yeah. My father, um, my biological father, he's an alcoholic and an addict. Um, he's quit drinking since I was born from what I've been told. And then been off of drugs for like 14 years or something like that. Okay. Uh, my grandfather, he's never been to any meetings or anything, but he's quit drinking for over 20, 30 years, some, oh, good something for him. like that. Good for him. Um, but yeah, alcohol addiction runs in my family. But the also yeah. the other thing that runs in my family is, you know, childhood trauma and not like we were never taught emotional att- intelligence or emotional maturity and how mm. to deal with that. So in my personal opinion, a lot of that in my family comes from the lack of knowledge of everything else that we should be taught as children and grown up. Um, but yeah, so all of that. And when I, when I was eight and a half, I was adopted by my mother's brother and his wife. And in that home, I was mentally, emotionally, and physically abused. So all that stuff just traveled with me. Wow. And by the time I had stopped drinking in 2013, um, I had the emotional maturity of a five-year-old. Because mm-hmm. um, when I moved in with them, I was eight and a half, and I, I was doing all right, but I never grew past that. And the more I drank, the more I regressed. Mm-hmm. So it was just, I was throwing temper tantrums, and it was just pathetic how I used to act. Um, but now I've started to, you know, work everything and start learning the things I feel I should have been taught as a kid Mm -hmm. to, you know, to be more of a stable person. Well, and the crazy thing is like, and I always, I love talking about this because when you recover, like here you are now, you have your sober hat on, you're telling me your story. You know, it's not just your life. It's not just your addiction and your trauma that you're healing from. It's your family. It's the generations, right? It's this line of passing on between generations this trauma that can stop with you when Mm -hmm. when you choose to do that work and it's just it's incredible man i love hearing that from people and tell me about fast forward to alaska again um did it lead to did it lead to any consequences like once it sort of got started to get bad what happened so when i was up there my emotional immaturity um ended up getting the best of me at work and it ended up with me um, um, pissing off the wrong person who happened to be my commander brand new first day on the job and I ended up losing a stripe over that Um, getting demoted article 15 and then when I 
after I left Alaska, I moved down to a gas station down in southern New Mexico, Holloman. And uh, I, I was partying every weekend. Like, if anybody wanted to party, they knew where my room was. Door was wide open. Music blaring. Beer pong every weekend. Like, it was just... I, I, was, I had a stack of empty glass bottles and started collecting them and, you know, designing my room around the stack. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Real classy um, uh, decor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I ended up getting in trouble down there for giving underages alcohol. And ironically, that was the only time I didn't give underagers alcohol. People just blame me and I got, I got busted. But, but you had done it a bunch of times. I had done it a lot of times. (laughs) So I was like, you know, even on the paperwork that I got, the commander was like, well, why didn't you fight for it? Mm. Like, why didn't you go to the court martial? I was like, you know, I thought about it and I was like. I've done this how many hundreds of times before like I'm kind of not, kind of honest of you time. to be it's funny like in that little moment there's a, a bit of honesty of like yeah you know what i did do that and see that's the thing is my integrity has always been really strong except when i'm drinking right when i'm drinking i don't care we'll go out and do illegal stuff like there's all kinds of stuff i don't want to talk about that i've done like there's just I was not the same person when I was drinking as I was sober, even back then. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was shy and you know, um, no self-esteem and really in, you know, never really outgoing. The minute that alcohol touched my lips, or even just the thought of okay, I'm getting off work, I started getting happy. I started becoming outgoing. Like my cares just went away, and that's the only way I knew how to cope with life at mm-hmm. that point mm-hmm. was. Oh, well, I have all this going on, so now I don't know how to deal with it, so I'm just going to go drink it away. And the problem with that thinking is the problems just never go away. They just keep stacking on top of each other. Right, right. And then some new problems show up as well, I guess, as yeah. you like get demoted, you get moved out of this area. Mm-hmm. Um, what What was the final straw? When was When did you reach that point where you were like, this is not going to work for me anymore. I need help. Um. So I got out of the military. I actually got kicked out for smoking spice. I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, it's like a synthetic weed type of stuff. Okay. It's actually really dangerous because wow. people have have like killed themselves on it and stuff. Like it, it really messes with you. Um, so I got kicked out for that because it was it was legal in the states, but not for military members. Hmm. Um, so I I ended up moving to Illinois. So I moved up there and started drinking in 2012. My mother passed away. So just out of the blue, died of pneumonia, just rocked my world. And I went on a downward spiral so fast. And the day of her memorial, so she passed away on June 21st of 2012. Her memorial service was on um, July 3rd or 5th. It was like right around the 4th of July. Um, And my sobriety date is July 5th. Wow. So a year almost to the day of her memorial service is when I got sober. Um, And what ended up me getting sober was it was a 4th of July weekend. Our plan was just to go out camping like we always did and just have a party. It was me, my girlfriend at the time, and my best friend at the time. Um... You know, fast forward through the night, I, of course, pre-gamed and I started drinking heavily after some things that we had to do. 
and ended up pissing off my best friend at the time and he left and went home and then it was just me and my girlfriend and I don't really remember much through the stories and the police report and everything that I've heard basically what had happened was I drank until I passed out in the bed of my truck we were camping so my girlfriend at the time tried to wake me up to get me in the tent so I want to get eaten alive by mosquitoes and stuff mm -hmm. So, when she woke me up, I had a, a mental break, and I just started flipping out. I threw her against the tree, you know, oh she had bruises, you know, the size of softballs on her legs from whatever I did. Um, the only thing I remember until uh, of being at that campsite uh, after I had blacked out was waking up next to the fire and my old combat boots, a ripped pair of jeans and no shirt, and looking at my truck, which she had locked herself in, and sc her screaming at me not to hurt her anymore. Oh, my God. And then I blacked out again. Like, that's the last thing I remember that night until I got pulled over by the cops. So, apparently, according to the story that I've been told, after my best friend had left and she had woken me up, so something happened in my brain and I snapped yeah. and I ended up taking her phone and taking it apart and throwing it in the woods. Something happened. She ended up locking herself in my truck, used my phone to call her mother to come get her. Her mother ended up calling the cops. When her mother told me, I uh, she told me that she called the cops. Uh, I got in my truck, almost ran over my ex-girlfriend and drove off. Wow. Um, when I drove off, we were in the, you know, back in the woods where you barely get cell phone reception. I'm actually surprised she got cell phone reception to call her mother. Um, so there was, to get to my apartment, there was this long, curvy country road to get to. And there's cornfields on each side in the middle of Illinois, central Illinois. And uh, apparently, according to the police report, the cops had pulled me over once on that road before they finally got a hold of me. Uh, when the cop pulled over, pulled me over, I waited until he got out of the car and started walking towards my truck, and I took off. Classic. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not a popular and move with the cops. No, no, no. No, it's not. <laughs> they really don't when like I went that. To go pick, they really don't. <laughs> When I went to go pick my truck up from the impound lot, I looked around to see if my truck was damaged or whatever, and I saw, so underneath the front end, I had the sway bar, and there was, all across, from tire to tire, there was grass wedged up in that sway bar. Like, it took, wow. like, all the force I could to force it out. So you well, must then, have gone through a field or something. Well, when they pulled me over, I parked in front of, I went back the after I got out of jail and everything, to figure out where this happened. Mm. It was on the opposite side of the road, right before entrance of a cornfield, where, you know, they got the little dips and stuff. Mm. So I had apparently pulled over too far, and when I gunned it when the cop got out of his car, I just ramped it and just sent it. So I took a big chunk out of that, hill, that little mm. entrance area. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so I... At the end of this road, there's a stoplight that takes forever to change. And from this stoplight, I live maybe 500 feet from this stoplight. So I was just trying to get back to my apartment, you know, shut the lights off, go to sleep, 
don't worry about nothing. Nothing mm-hmm. happened. Um, well, my dumbass decided decided to sit at that stoplight and wait for it to turn green after I just ran away from the cops. Not that I remembered it. I remember sitting there and watching the the police lights come closer to me as I'm waiting for the lights to turn green. Yeah. So just so, no uh, no connection in your mind of like no, that's the nothing. cop I just <laughs> No, nothing whatsoever. Yeah. I turn onto the main road. My apartment's right there. I can see my apartment building. It's like I could throw a rock and hit it. And I turn. The cop caught up to me, pulled me over right next to the guardrail. They got out of their cars, pointed their guns at me. Put your hands outside the window, you know, cop style, like the TV show cops. Like they put my, uh, they had me put my hands out the window, un- open the door from the outside, you know, walk backwards towards me. Can you guess what the first words I said to them was? I'm drunk. Mm. What? <laughs> yeah. I remember saying that to them. Like I remember being in, an, I don't remember getting into the handcuffs. I remember having their guns put pointed at me. Uh, I remember getting handcuffed. And I remember saying, I'm drunk. I don't remember the ride to the police station. I don't remember. I barely remember getting booked. I was in and out of, I was in what people call a brownout state where I remember a little bit and mm. went back to blacked out and stuff like that. Do you think um, it was like the, the almost the, the real side of you? Like the, the part of you that has integrity and that doesn't want to be doing stuff like that, that kind of became conscious in that second and was like, yeah, I'm drunk. Like, what, what do you think that was about? It, it, it probably was. It also could, I'm not going to lie, it could have just been plain old stupidity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean, absolute still, no connection of what's going on. Nothing whatsoever. Yeah. So I had stopped drinking at two in the morning, according to what I was told. And I ended up taking a breathalyzer at like four something in the morning on, on the 4th of July. And mind you, at this point, I weighed maybe 145 pounds soaking wet. And my blood alcohol level, I blew a 0.114. Wow. So I was... That's almost like poisoning level, yeah. Yeah. So I ended up getting booked. I got booked for domestic assault, uh, speeding 98 and a 55, which is as fast as my truck will go. And, um, of course, DUI. Yeah. Um, now I'm in the middle of Illinois. I have no family around, no nothing. And this is where my story, my recovery story actually starts is in this jail cell. I don't know if you believe or your listeners believe in a higher power or whatever, but I, from, from the moment I was in this jail cell, I believed in a higher power. Hmm. So I was sitting in this jail cell and I'm booked for domestic assault. And you hear these horror stories about people who, you know, who hit women and stuff and how they get, you know, basically killed in jail because of it. So I'm scared to death about what's about to happen to me. Um, And so I'm I'm like, the guy, one of the inmates had to wake me up for lunch because I slept through breakfast. Um, but so long story short, I ended up, you know, kind of making friends as much of a friendly thing you can be with, you know, people in the same jail cell as you and ended up 
getting uh, my father, my biological father's phone number from the cops. They, uh, he asked the cops to look up my father's phone number because it was cell phone age. I don't remember anybody's phone number. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up calling him. He never picked up the phone. He also told me if I ever got in trouble, don't ever call him if I'm in jail. He's going to let me sit there. So, you know, he lived up to his, his word. Mm-hmm. So I give him that. Um, so I'm like, well, I, I know my buddy doesn't have any money. I don't have any money. I just spent it all on alcohol. The $35 I had in my wallet somehow just disappeared, so I don't know where that went to. Um, And, you know, I was just laying in my bunk, you know, trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to do with my life and how I'm going to get out of here. Um, And, you know, I'm sitting there. Luckily for me, um, my job had given Friday off because Thursday was 4th of July, so they gave us Friday off. So I didn't have to worry about missing work, but I had to get out of work get out of jail before monday for work so i'm like how do i do this um so my bail was set at like 125 and i'm laying in my bunk trying to figure it out and all of a sudden out of the nowhere a phone number that i had never remembered in my life memorized in my life popped in my head that was my grandmother's phone number no way i call i'm i'm dead serious like i remember her old phone number her old phone number from when I was a kid and she lived in a different city. I remember that back phone when number. you back when you had to know phone numbers to call people. Exactly. Yeah. I, I had never remembered this phone number in my life. I ended up calling her and I had to call her a couple times because uh, she ended up calling the station and trying to get the report on me. And, you know, she said because of the cop said for alcohol and or drug abuse and the, what they booked me for. And they were just reading off of a piece of paper, so she was like, "If it's drug abuse, I'm not. I'm not. You can you can rot in there for all I care. But wow. if it's alcohol, we'll get you out. We'll get you the help that you need." Um, so I explained to her grandma, I, "I didn't do any drugs. I was just, you know, really drunk. I made a really bad decision. Whatever." She ended up um, sending the hundred and twenty-five dollars to my. Um, ex-best friend who was there at the campsite with me who left earlier in the night sent it to him and he bailed me out um i spent almost two full day almost 48 i think i chalked it up to like 42 hours in jail um i ended up when i got out i paid the guy back for using his phone card he allowed me one of the inmates allowed me to use his phone card something else that um i found out while i was in jail was I had heard some commotion down the hall and apparently according to the inmates there told me if I was put in that jail cell I would have got my butt beat down there because that's the jail cell that they live up to that name of you know woman beater yeah so they put me in the right jail cell so I didn't you know get even more hurt than I already was what's Um, your what's going through your head as you're like you you got the bail miraculously have this phone number and also don't get beat up like what's going through your head as this is happening is there a sense of like something higher than myself is is at play or what were you thinking in the moment i don't think i i recognized how big of a deal it was like when that number came in my head i knew it was like i knew for a fact i had never memorized this number in my life so i'm like and for some reason, like, I knew that it was my grandmother's phone number. I knew who I was calling. That's crazy. So, 
so I'm like, how the heck did I remember this number? Like, you know, I had a cell phone yeah. for years at this point. Like, I, I never, I don't have to remember numbers anymore. And I'm like, okay, so I, I didn't know how to process it fully. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to take advantage to the knowledge I have right now and just get out of the situation that I'm in. It wasn't until after I had joined AA that, you know, I actually realized the processes of what had actually happened in my recovery and what led me to that. Um, wow. yeah, so, I mean, looking back at it, the, the things that have happened in my recovery, are just mind blowing, no explanations of what could happen. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, no, I've never no, heard of that. I've honestly never heard of that. Something like that. That's crazy. It, it, it's unreal. Like it, for all I know, like, I don't know what anybody else believes, but I know for a fact my mother watches out for me every step of the way, even though she's not on this on this physical mm, earth mm-hmm. anymore. Um, anytime that I'm on the right path and I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not, I see a sign. There's, uh, there's a couple different ones that I see. It's either a butterfly, a dragonfly, or a firefly. I don't know why. It's mm. just how it happened. Mm. There's a story behind the fireflies. She was always a big butterfly person, and at one point in our conversations or messaging back and forth, she sent me a dragonfly thing, Mm. and it just spoke mounds to both of us, and after she passed away, anytime I doubted myself at all, and I I was on the right path, and I was making the right decision, I saw one of these things, and it it just, like the self-esteem and the confidence level just rose up in me. I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. That's and that's, that's how beautiful. Juggalos and Recovery was born. That's beautiful, man. Um, before we get to Juggalos and Recovery, tell me a little bit about AA. Because <laughs> I know I'm excited to talk about that too. But like, you got to give me the background. Like, when, What was your experience of AA? What, was the, what really helped you to get sober? Because I know that at this point, you're still probably a mess coming out of this. Like, I, I, w- I was I was wrecked. Like I, I yeah. thought I was gonna go to work and lose my job. My job actually never found out about it until I told. No them. way! Wow. Yeah, I got I got extremely lucky. Like I got, you know, I got a ride to work and got a ride home. Got my truck out of impound lot. Paid way too much money. Like I had a bargain with the guy, and you know, because I just got out of work, you know, they were cl- all, the impound lot was already closing. So I had a call and hey, I'm getting money. You know, blah blah blah. You know trying to make everything happen in a real short amount of time. And the guy stayed a little bit late and helped me get my truck out. Um, so the the initial thing right off the bat, I ended up calling my family and friends and, you know, just, hey, this is what happened. You know, I was at a point, I was desperate for anything. Like, I didn't know where to go in my life. I had literally just done the one thing that I had never that I said I would never do in my life, and that would be hurt a woman mm-hmm. physically. Like, I I just, it was drilled into my head as a child, you never hurt a woman. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just, I did it. I mean, it's and not like, like she that, did anything to cause it. It was just like you lost it for, for I, I, an hour I, or I had long. a mental break. Like I just, yeah. I snapped. And whether she did anything to cause it, like, she, how can she do anything to cause it? She woke me up to, you know, get me safe in a tent yeah i mean like 
I just Dude, I you could have killed you could have killed her. It sounds like you almost I drove her have. over, and you could have killed anybody else. When you're driving down the road like that, you literally people die like that all the time with drunk drivers. I like, know. I mean, think about that little the ramp that yeah. I made out of my truck. If I hit that going 98 miles an hour, yeah, I could have died myself. Like whether like. That's the thing is anything could have happened that night. My life could be drastically different than yeah. what it is now. The first two weeks I'm out of jail. I'm trying to get my life on somewhat of a track. I, I'm, I don't drink for the, those two weeks, but I don't go to AA yet. I end up talking to my biological father. I'm explaining to him why the jail was calling him or whatever and told him what had to happen. The only thing I remember from that conversation was you need to find a newcomer's meeting. Go online. Find the AA in your town. Find a newcomer's meeting. It's what I had to do when I got out of whatever he had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Go to a new, newcomer's meeting. That's what those meetings are for. Someone brand new to AA. Go and do it. So I did. I, I think I would talk to him on like a Monday or Tuesday and found out the meeting was on a Thursday. And I didn't know what to do other than just show up. I remember showing showing up to the meeting my now sponsor was sitting at the picnic table smoking a cigar and i was like hey is this aa and he was like yeah it is so i walked in i grabbed they had a stack of pamphlets in this little display thing and i grabbed a couple of them and started reading them and you might have an alcohol problem if this and that you know all the questions of the newcomer pamphlets and stuff and i was like oh crap um, you're like I check might have a pro- check <laughs> check can we yeah. add a couple more questions of this yeah, so yeah. Say no yeah. like yeah yeah <laughs> have you ever been to the moon no <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i was like oh man so the way that meeting worked was in the very beginning of the meeting after after they did how it works and a couple other things uh they asked if there was any newcomers at the meeting or at AA for the first time and I raised my hand and that's when in that group they have a first step meeting so uh, whether people have been to AA or not all that means is you go around and you talk about the first step how Mm. you got to the point to where your life is unmanageable how you hit rock bottom and how it affected your life basically so everybody went around the room I was sitting so they had a big uh, rectangle wood table where everybody was sitting around and of course me the newcomer was sitting off to the side on a bench by myself one of the I don't know if I'm supposed to be here or not don't know how anything works scared to crap about what's about to happen and everybody shares this really extremely powerful vulnerable humble story of how they became into how they came into AA and it blew my mind that these complete strangers to me shared something this personal like how in the world i want to share this stuff with my own family never mind a complete stranger who they've never seen or heard before in their life yeah and i don't know what came over me it came to me without any hesitation i said i'm frank i'm an alcoholic i told what i had just gone through the last two weeks and the two weeks ago Talk to them about my DUI, the domestic. I told them everything. And you already had that integrity. That's what we were talking about. You like, already had that. When you're sober, you have that integrity. And when it came to you, like you heard those stories and you just, it's something within you. You wanted to share. I, I had to do it. Like yeah. I, I knew from their stories, I knew I belonged there. Like I knew 
this was my problem and I don't know why, but I need to tell my story here. And yeah. I told my story. I broke down crying. You know, I remember other than my sponsor and there was a couple other guys there, but there was one woman there. Um, I'm not going to say her name or anything, but I remember this woman because of how she looked at me. She didn't look at me in a I'm sorry for you kind of way. She was she was empathetic, but you could see the love and care in her eyes. Mm. I'm a complete stranger. I don't know anybody in this room from Adam. Yeah. And this woman is looking at me like she loves and cares about me. Mm. And I ended up long fast forward a couple years and I start asking around about her and I found out that she's still going to AA and everything and I end up making sure I go to a meeting where she's at and I thank her because I had never dealt with that kind of love and wow. care from anyone in my life and that that how she looked at me after what I just dealt with with my DUI and how my ex-girlfriend looked at me to how this woman just looked at me changed how I saw everything. And now it's a whole process on how everything changed, but she was a spark that changed how I dealt with. And she didn't even like say that. anything. It was literally just the just, expression on just her how, face. And yeah, just how she looked at me. Like, wow. I don't know if anybody else can deal with, uh, deals with this, but sometimes you can see other people's body language and yeah. how they see and, you can almost feel what they feel like in a, a empathic kind of way. Like, I don't know if that's what it was or if it was just the look, like you see all the, the romance movies and whatever, like the, the look she had in her eyes, it was not, uh, I'm sorry for you or you shouldn't have done that. There was no hatred or no rage, no disappointing yeah. look. She understood she knew where I was coming from, even though mm -hmm. her story was nothing like mine. And she cared about me and loved me enough to show that she was there to support me and whatever I had to deal with. And I didn't talk to her for years after that first meeting. But you remembered her. Like, that's I remembered her. Mind. She's always been stuck in my head. Wow. Uh, and I, I told when I finally got to see her again after two or three years being sober, and I told her this, everything that I'm telling you right now, and it blew her mind. Like, all I did was look at you and try to understand where you're coming from. I was like, you changed everything for me. Yeah. I didn't know that was possible. Like, these things, like, wow. I ended up, um, so because of my DUI, I ended up having... Um, six months before I lost my life, uh, 60 days or something like that before I lost my license for six months. I was suspended for six months. So once I lost my license, I ended up doing eight meetings a week. And my sponsor drove me to every one of them. Wow. That's what my sponsor probably, well, not until this day because some of the meetings have changed or closed down or whatever. But while I was living in Illinois, he was doing eight meetings a week. This guy has over 30 years sober, and he was doing eight meetings a week. Oh, good for him. And mainly so, because he's helping other people, right? He's driving people exactly, to meetings. Yeah. Exactly. And, I mean, he's he helped me. Like, the, the things this guy has taught me. And he didn't sponsor me, like, 
how you hear other sponsors do. They sit you down and make you go through the steps, like in how they do it in rehab and stuff like that. I asked him to be my sponsor on the way back from a meeting with a couple other guys in the back seat. I was like, hey, would you be my sponsor? He was like, no, I'm not going to be your sponsor. I'll be your mentor, but I'm not going to be your sponsor. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, that'll work for me. Because, you know, I was a bullheaded, stubborn, I can do everything myself kind of yeah. guy anyways at that point. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. So anytime I ever had a question or problem or anything going on in my life, I would talk to him. Mm. I would go to a meeting where I knew he was at. I would, you know, text him or call him or whatever. We'd go out for coffee, you know, anything like that. But he never forced me. I didn't do my fifth step with him. I didn't do anything like that. I just used him to get information from, basically, and get mm. another aspect of, hey, I'm dealing with this problem. This is how I dealt with the problem. How is another way I can deal with this problem? Because I know for a fact my way doesn't work because it got me in this stupid situation that I'm in, so I need yeah. another way to look at it. So I ended up powering through the first nine steps in a month and a half in AA. I just, I just plowed right through them. And I respect me, that. I honestly think like people go through too slow. That's my opinion. But yeah, good for you. I mean, if that helped you. The reason why I did that, and I didn't actually realize this until later, like I started hearing stories about how people six years sober haven't done a fifth step yet. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, how yeah, are you? That doesn't make sense. So I realized that for because for me, my vocabulary is not the strongest point in my intelligence. So when I read those 12 steps, I'm like, what the hell is amends and what what the hell is it like i just the way it was worded like you know i just never i never really understood it so i i realized that i went i read the 12 and 12 i read the aa book front to back a couple different times and i just powered through them i got hey okay i don't know what my first thing i talked to my sponsor about was i don't know what step i'm on i was like okay well let's talk it out so you know your life became unmanageable because you're seeking help. You came to AA. All right, cool. You came to believe in a, a higher power can restore you to some kind of sanity because you keep coming to AA. So as of right now, you believe AA can help you. AA is a higher power because it's more than one person. It's, it's a group of people who mm-hmm. support you in whatever you need to do. And you are already working on and learning from AA. So, um, hold on. Did I skip a step? No, no, you're good. Yeah. So you're, you're turning your will over, right? Yeah. Right. So yeah, turning your will over to the care of God as you understand him. Um, and then he was like, you've already done that too, because you've already started taking notes in AA meetings. You're starting to learn, you're putting your faith in, you know, the big book and the 12 and 12, you know, you're doing this. So yeah. just by showing up and staying in AA, you've already accomplished the first three steps. So it looks like you're on step number four. I'm like, well, hell, look at me go. I might as well I just keep this. this momentum. Just Yeah, yeah. I love this guy. I love this guy. <laughs> just keep going. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's do this. Yeah. So I went home that night and I just started scribbling stuff on a piece of paper, just all kinds of stuff. Went back to my big book. Oh, I've got to do this and this and this. And I was like, okay, blah, 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 blah. I just wrote down my whole messed up life on this yeah. piece of paper. One of the things that I didn't do until later 
uh, my first fourth step, um, I only wrote negative stuff. Anyone mm. I talk to now, I I push them to write positive stuff as well. Yeah, I did the same thing. I, I didn't do the positive inventory until the second or third time through it where it was yeah. like, okay, I'm going to look for my character strengths and sort of people mm -hmm. I helped. Yeah. And just to be clear for people who aren't as familiar with the steps. So step four is the moral inventory. And Correct. part of that outlined is like inventorying the resentments and the fears, which is what you're talking about with the negative. But I Correct. love what you're saying, Frank, because like the the character strengths and the the people that we helped and your values that's part of you as well. And that was there throughout your whole story. It's there. Like everything that you've been sharing, there were moments of integrity. Um, that stuff is present. And I think for me, going through the fourth step was really depressing because I didn't even think about those positive aspects. It was all about my angers and my fears. And I went into this kind of spiral of self-hatred. Um, but um, so I really love that your sponsor had that attitude and that and that now that you have that attitude as well that you're sharing with people. It's awesome. Honestly, one of the things I I love about recovery is watching other people grow and watching myself grow, because I can tell you looking back and I love talking about my recovery because it not because I, I'm egotistical, even though I do have that problem, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> But because it makes me remember where I came from. I didn't have that great of a beginning. Like when yeah. I was living with my mother, like she was so drawn out on pills that the doctors kept throwing down her throat that family members had to drop off food at our door because she wouldn't go shopping for a month. Wow. Like, it, like I remember having a kick in the door after uh, coming home from school in the first grade because she was sleeping all day. I remember all the, like, we were poor, like, we were living off the government, she never could hold down a job, like, mm -hmm. I mean, my my middle years weren't that bad financially, but, you know, I dealt with all the abuse and the trauma and all that stuff, so it's it's one of those things where telling my story is part of my recovery, because there might be someone that just one sentence in this whole podcast will help them and yeah. it might be something i say or something that i said that made you say something that that made you know sense to that's all that matters yeah yeah and that's why i love doing these things and you know i have the youtube channel and i put everything that i i can out and i've i've done everything in my power to 12 step the world at this point like i love it man my goal my it. goals are uh, unreal um but, but you have a focus now. You have the jugglers in recovery, and I, I, I really want to talk about this. So, um, tell me, tell, tell the listeners about like what a juggalo is, because I had no idea until I met you. I had to sort of do a little bit of research. So, what is a juggalo? How did you get introdu introduced to this world? All right. So, a juggalo for the in the beginning, a juggalo started as a fan base for a band, a rap band, a rap group called the Insane Clown Posse, ICP. Um, it, over the years, because um, of so many different things and characteristics, because of how um, the, the things they talk about and rap about and the, how they are as a person, their fan base developed into a community that was just... ICP had no a part of it just happened. Mm. It's one of those things that's just happened. Um, 
before I continue with this, I want to tell you that the my about my fifth step real yeah, quick go for it. because this is one of those other things that um some higher being just made things happen and you know so uh, after I wrote my four step I went home that night wrote my four step and I just powered through it I did everything I racked my brain left and right I think I did it for a couple days and um I went to uh was going to walmart or something going back to my uh apartment <clears throat> and this sign on the main road in uh the town i was living in said grand opening um christian some christian church was grand okay. opening it was in like a couple days it was like a weekend or two from when i had finished my four step so i was like oh well hey look at that you know, my my faith has already started being restored in some higher power. So I'm Catholic, so I'm used to, you know, doing um, repenting and, you know, uh, confessions and all that stuff. Right. So I was like, well, I'm going to do something that I'm used to, so it's a little bit easier on me. And I went and talked to my sponsor. I was like, hey, this church is op opening this week. Um, I'm going to go talk to the preacher and be like, hey, I'm doing a fifth step. I would like to do it with you. And I did. Cool. I did it with that preacher. He took me in, spent an hour talking to me, um, got the advice from my sponsor that if I'm doing my fifth step right, I don't know if other people know about this or not, but if you do your fifth step right, the person you're talking to will also give you a, at least one personal story so they know, uh, so that you know that they understand where you're coming from. Mm. I've never heard that before, but that makes sense. And that's something that I experienced for sure. I mean, th that's what you and I are doing. Like, yeah, you, you, I mean, that you talk to any addict or any person, you tell them something personal. If they understand it, they'll give you an, a response back from something personal that is very similar to yeah. what you just talked about. And I try not to so much because I'm in a podcast and I want it to be yeah. about you because it's your story. <laughs> but like, man, I t trust me, it's hard not to because it's like it's the I, natural response, right? It, it is. Yeah. Um, so, so that it might not be a big thing to other people, and a lot of people can chalk that up to coincidence. But for me, that was that was just a, a literal physical sign that said, "Hey, I'm here." That was God mm. saying, "Hey, dude, you're in your fifth step. I know what you're used to. I know what you're, you know, what makes you comfortable. So I'm gonna put you in that position to get your your step done." Mm -hmm. and it just it just flowed and then you know step six seven and eight uh my my sponsor told me step six um just meditate after your first step meditate for an hour on what your first step everything in your first step um so step six is uh do you remember word for word what it is became willing to have our uh character defects removed became willing for god go. to remove our defects character yeah yeah, something like that. Um, and then I did uh, seven and uh, eight was already started because of my four step. Um, mm -hmm. Make the list of amends that you have to make. Um, and then step nine, I just I I dealt with the initial amends to family and friends that I was still talking to that knew mm -hmm. what I was going through and dealing with A and stuff. And then I let you, the universe, God, karma, whatever happened, put 
the other people that I needed to make amends to in my life when I needed to make amends to them. Mm. I did not force my amends on anybody else. And mm. over the years of recovery, I have realized that making amends is not honestly a verbal thing. People don't really care if you say I'm sorry. Some it makes some people feel better, yes. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to actually believe you unless you put the actions behind it. So one of the things I've started coming to believe is that to make a true amends, you just have to change to be better. Mm. You have to do what's right. You have to become that better person. You just promised the whole world you're going to be, whether you told the whole world or not. So what are you going to do to prove that your amends mean something? Yeah, it's, it's making amends. It's not saying amends. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so. So, so when did you become a fan of ICP or when did you become introduced to the Juggalo community? So I was introduced to ICP when I was in Alaska. Um, one of my friends from back home, Massachusetts said, Hey, listen to this song. And they have a song called the dating game. And I listened to it and I fell in love with it. It was just vulgar out there in your face. Just, just something that will never be played on, you know, an actual radio station. I'm playing it on this podcast right now. I'm going to, I'm going to put it over this (laughs) description. It's, it's amazing. I, it, it's the, the dating game, also called the netting game. So the netting in the juggalo community is uh, another word for uh, the female private parts. Okay. Um, just for future reference. Right. But that that's what the the community and ICP call is the net and the netting game. Um, but for the rest of the world, it's the dating game because they won't understand the the lingo. Gotcha. Um, so I started there, and then that friend also told me to listen to Tech Nine, which is he's another big um, artist in that community. Um, he's doing amazing things right now, but not get onto him. I'll talk for hours on him. Um, <laughs> another podcast. We'll do another one. Yeah. Um, so I I got hooked in right away, and then I found out a, a buddy that I worked with down the hall. He was a fan of ICP and a Juggalo, so he had a couple CDs. That, oh, he had a CD called Eye of the Storm, and I listened to that thing just on repeat mm-hmm. for like a week straight, um, and I, I was just hooked. So do you still connect? Um, to, like Now that you're, you've been sober and you've been in recovery for a while, Like, do you still connect with this music, or was it? Um, do you think it was a part of the more addictive side of your personality? Like, What do you think about it now? Honestly... My sobriety has become deeper and stronger because of ICP. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so ICP does this thing. They they come out with CDs left and right. Well, they did back in the day when they were younger. Because it's like so, it's masked in that sort of like vulgar, uh, like it, rap culture, sex, drugs. All, yeah. Everything like, and th- there's some extremely vulgar stuff in yeah. there. Talking about cutting heads off and 
you know, eating dead bodies. And I mean, it's just, yeah. I'm telling you, there's some crazy stuff. But, but underneath lyrics. it, you're saying like these rappers, they're really, the, the subliminal messages are positive. Like they are sort of, a, um, do you think that they share some of the recovery ideas or some of the 12 step ideas? I know for a fact they do. Yeah. Because Shaggy Two Dope, the other rapper of ICB, is actually in recovery. Wow. That's awesome. And I've met him and he told me, this is when I had my very first in-person meeting of drug and recovery that he would actually come to it if it wasn't for, you know, it was the biggest time of the year, yeah, their yeah. gathering, their music festival. But he, they've, you know, they've, the the support I've gotten from them for just knowing about yeah. juggalos and recovery is amazing. That's so cool. Um, man. And what are the, so what are the juggalos like to each other? You say there's this sort of, uh super loyalty to icp and vice versa icp is really loving to their fans like what is, what are the fans like to each other what type of what's what's the community like would you say up until 2016 i believe it was um i went to my very first gathering i never really could answer this question except for what i read on the internet and what i dealt with with other juggalos um and then I went to my first gathering and I witnessed it firsthand. There is so much love and respect in that community that anyone walking off the street, if you are a good person, they will treat you with love and respect mm. and like you are family mm -hmm. to them. End of story. No questions asked. Nothing. My first gathering, I never met any of these people in my life. I'm setting up my tent on the side of this, you know, in this campground area deal. And I got random people walking by me telling me, welcome home. And I'm getting these full body chills. Like, I don't know if you ever feel this when you start talking about powerful things. But for me, if I start talking about something powerful, I just get these full body chills, like an energy overload. And it's, I don't even get goosebumps. Yeah. It's just I feel these chills throughout my body. And anytime anyone would say that, like the just the first day, I would just get the the these body chills that would just oh oh wow I thanks homie like I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah. To to so, something so one of the things because I'm in recovery, one of the things I was afraid of is you know relapsing at the gathering. Um, back. Um, a few years back where they used to have their gathering in a place called Caven Rock, Illinois. Um, there was what a thing called what they called the drug bridge. And it would be, literally be where all the drug dealers hang out and, you know, do whatever they got to do. And I heard all the horror stories about it and whatever. And I was scared, you know, that I was going to be I was putting myself in a position to yeah. um, to relapse. And then I put my faith in my higher power, everything lined up, like I just went. And I started seeing these butterflies and these dragonflies everywhere. I was like, I was, there was one that's dragonfly amazing. that flew around my tent the whole gathering. That's, the same that's freaking unreal. dragonfly. I'm not joking you. Um, so I had, I was like, you know, first day there, no one's offering me anything, no one's whatever. I had my big juggles and recovery handmade sign out in front of my tent. 
Like this is my first gathering, and I'm ballsy as hell because I'm gonna I'm gonna have recovery meetings well, so at this gathering. You hadn't been before, like you hadn't gone as a party animal. This was like you're going no. in in recovery. You're gonna bring jugglers in recovery to this <laughs> gathering. That's crazy, man. Mind you, before this point, and I mean crazy in a good jugglers, way. By the way, I mean the crazy yeah, in the best yeah. way possible. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, before this point, from. May 20th of 2014 up until 2016 when I went to the gathering, Juggles and Recovery was just a Facebook group. Right. That's all it was. Right. So I went to this gathering and I'm like, we end, we actually ended up meeting up with a bunch of other sober people there and having actual meetings at this first gathering. So I'm walking around this gathering, having a grand old time. I got to see Vanilla Ice and Carter, all kinds of crazy, awesome stuff happened at this gathering. And then I had my first run-in with someone who wanted to give me some drugs or whatever. And he offered me whatever he wanted to offer. I was like, you know what? No, thank you. I'm a recovering addict. Just to cover my bases. And he was like, what? I am so sorry. I did not know. This dude... Who doesn't know me from Adam, yeah, who just offered me whatever of kind of drug. Yeah. <laughs> he's apologizing to me because he didn't know I was in recovery. And then he gave me props for being in recovery and standing my ground and congratulated me on my sobriety as he's holding a sign for five dollars for this or five. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. what Good the heck kind of community did I just walk into? Yeah. And then it happened again. This happened like four other times during this. Alcohol, whatever, like I even met this one chick. She was like, hey, you want some of this? I got some of this. Oh, no, thank you. I'm in recovery. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an addict. She was like, oh, my bad. I will, I, you know, my bad for offering. All casual, whatever. Kept carrying on a conversation or whatever. I, her and I start walking. I don't know this girl from anyone. And she walks into one of her friend sites or just a random homie site. I don't know. And they're all drinking or whatever. And she stuck up for me. That's awesome. I don't know this girl. I honestly couldn't tell you her name. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. So there's just that like, level of respect and, of other people's like choices and other people's like exactly. journeys. Yeah. All, so, so all of these juggalos, all, okay, that's an extremely general statement. The majority of juggalos yeah. come from some sort of um, put down, um, outcast mm. kind of part of society. Yeah. So all of these people who have always been outcasted and never been accepted have found this place where everyone is accepted. The things that you will see, the people, type of people that you see is just amazing, unreal, will blow your mind. Like, the, like there, there's um, books written on just the gathering. Mm. Like one of my favorite authors actually included the gathering in one of his fiction books. Wow. And he actually went like it just blew my That's mind. Nice. Like I went and bought it. It's actually called The Gathering. Um uh, it's called The Gathering Praise by John Sanford. But anyways, um like the the amount of respect, loyalty and acceptance you get in this community is mind blowing. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So what was the it, response to the, like, once you started actually doing meetings at the gathering, how did, uh, like, did the people organizing this start to, like, recognize that this was going on? Or did they see you in some of the later gatherings? So, so my first gathering, I, I told 
Violent J and uh, Shaggy, the ICP guys, I told them about Juggalos in Recovery. I had them sign a flyer and everything. How'd you meet them, by the way? So like, they, is that a given? Like, everyone... I bought a... No, I just bought a VIP oh, pass, sick. and I went... I was... That was my first gathering. I was going all out. I was going to meet yeah. everybody. I had every artist sign my um, Juggalos in Recovery uh, pamphlet, um, flyer that I made, all kinds of stuff. Um, so they... They knew about it. I mean, it was during a meet and greet, so I don't know if you know, like how much they remember of it or whatever. So then I went to the gathering the next year. After the first gathering, I I started the Facebook page. Like literally, when I say it was only a Facebook group, I had nothing else going yeah. on. Like it was just a couple random posts for me a year, you know, talking about you know juggles and recovery. Yeah. And and then after the first gathering, I I created the Facebook page. And I bought some merchandise. You know, I bought T-shirts and this and that. And I just, I just went all. Out. I'm actually wearing one of my bracelets, nice. Juggle Recovery at uh, at the gathering. Nice. Um, the second year I went, um, it was me and one of the original guys from the first gathering that we had the meetings at. Him and I drove together. He rode with me to the gathering. Um, and you know we had a great time we had we didn't really have any meetings because no one showed up but we ended up getting more of the word out there we just had a really bad place to camp and whatever gotcha. um i mean we still had a raffle and all that stuff and then the third year is where where i i carried all of the little momentum that i had and i just pushed through everything um i teamed up with uh an, another nonprofit that works the gathering called the scrub care unit i was like hey you know i i'm doing this i'm juggles i work i created juggles and recovery i'm holding recovery meetings i just spewed everything i could at these guys and they helped me get into the the gathering early um the last gathering we didn't have one this year so 2019 and so I got an early, I got to help set up for the gathering. I got, you know, I set up my camp, helped set up the game site. I helped set up uh, one of Tom Wood. He's a pretty big fantasy artist. He does a majority of uh, a lot of the artwork for ICP. Cool, uh, I got to help him set his stuff up. I just, and that was my in. I got in with the inner, semi-inner circle of the, the people setting up the gathering. Right. So I was like, oh, I'm I'm just running with it. And I just hung out with all these people, you know, doing whatever I could. I stayed, you know, a, a day or two later um, to help clean up the gathering. And I actually m met the guy who sets up the gathering, which is Violent J's brother. Um, and Violent J's brother and a chick named Rachel, um, who's really big with the gathering and Juggalo World and other artists, uh, not... Music artist, like a painting artist, um, they um, jump steady. Violent J's brother is straight edge, so he doesn't drink, he doesn't do any drugs, he doesn't do anything like that. Rachel is in recovery, and I met her at my very first gathering. I didn't know that until wow. I met her. I I recognized her off of one of the DVDs they had put out in 2008 that she was on. That's wild. Um, it was like a documentary about the gathering. Um, and I just caught her after a concert and I was like, hey, you know, hey, you do a, you this person from this and ended up getting a free painting and whatever and found out that she was in recovery. Cool. I found 
I found out because of everything that I did, both of them know about Juggles and Recovery and really like where Juggles and Recovery is going. So now I'm in the process. I just put my paperwork in to get become a legal nonprofit right. organization. Right. Um, so now we're going to be legal. Now, if I want to do anything, you know, at the gathering, whatever, we, we've got all these different ideas. Um, my goal for Juggalos and Recovery is not just to stick with Juggalos because Juggalos are just such a small community. It's just a small. How, how many people base, at the gathering would you say? Is, is it like, uh, like a hundred thousand or something or? Uh, I, no, not that much. Um, I know there's tens of thousands. I know that okay. much. Okay. Like, um, I honestly am not good at counting people, but I yeah, know there's, um, there's tents and people everywhere. Like this is just unreal. Um, put it this way during these four or five days, they have three stages of music going. So right. two, the two smaller stages go from like, I think it's noon time to 6 PM. And then the main stage goes from 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. And then the two smaller stages go from 1 a.m. or 2 uh, 2 a.m. to like 4 a.m. And they have concerts all day long. Wow, man. But, um, so, but what about like Juggalos in general, like across the states? Like how many, like any sense of how big the community is? I personally have talked to a Juggalo from Australia. Okay, yeah, so it's international. And Canada. It's international. Yeah. They have ICP has actually toured in Australia and in Europe. Wow. Multiple times. Uh, yeah. Australia, I think they did once. They've done Canada a few times. They've done Europe a few times. Um, it's, it's literally worldwide. I was mentioning this, uh, that I was going to interview you to a friend of mine in Toronto and he was like, oh yeah, ICP. Like I, I heard about this in high school or whatever. Like there was like a juggalo, it was almost like a group of like juggalos in high school. So it definitely, now that you, now that I think of it, it is, it is international for sure. And, and juggles and recovery has already reached that because I put out a couple commercials during this whole thing that ICP is doing this month. And a guy from Australia hit me up that, Hey, and a guy from Canada both said, Hey, you know, I saw your commercial, I saw yeah. your advertisement, whatever, you know, I don't really have a strong support system out here. I'm so glad for you, what you guys are doing, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's just amazing. That's um, cool, man. My, my goal with Juggalos and Recovery, though, is, is I'm always going to keep Juggalos and Recovery. That name will never change. But my goal is to, instead of having a strict guideline like AA and NA and smart recovery. And uh, if people don't know what smart recovery is, it's a science-based recovery program. Right. right. Um, and then they have celebrate recovery, which is a Christian based recovery program. Those have strict guidelines or rules or steps or whatever that you take to become sober and clean. My goal is is not to have one set standard. I want to be able to come in and say, okay, well, you have these options. Let's find out what works for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you like the 12 steps, then Juggles and Recovery has their own 12 steps. And if you want, I can read them to you. They're pretty awesome. Um, 
it, uh, then, oh, well, if the 12 steps don't work for you, what if science is the thing? What if emotional intelligence is the thing? What if um, just a mixture of all of these things are the are your thing? Like it's and not... would you have like do you visual do you envision sort of having meetings and having like a format or something like that that's similar to some of these group recovery meetings? Yes, I think for the sake of familiarity it will be beneficial to have similar style meetings um but the with that being said we are my goal is to have meetings that are for each form of recovery awesome. you want a faith-based recovery meeting this is the one you want to go to if you have if you want a 12-step recovery program this is the meeting you want to go to if you want to deal with it you know just and then we'll have, I want to be able to have, okay, well, if you want to open your eyes and just kind of figure it out, or you want to, you know, have an open mind, go to this one. And this is where anybody in any recovery program can go. You can mm -hmm. learn. All I, all I know is I have learned so much from all kinds of different recovery programs and ideas and people in recovery that there's no right, one right answer. What about non-addicts? So let's say you have a juggalo who... I am glad yeah? you brought that up. Okay. So me and three other people who are the board of directors... It's me and three other people for the board of directors of Juggalos in Recovery. It's me, my wife, who is, non who is a non-addict, and then the other two boards are um, previous um, recovering addicts or whatever. So my goal is not only to have support for the addicts, but also support for the families of the addicts. Cool. And also cool. not only to include both of them, but also to include people who want to support other people going through addiction. Yeah. So you get it from three different ways. So you got the people who need support because their family's going through addiction. You got the addicts who need the support. And then you got the people who want to support everybody else yeah so you just it's just a whole big happy family of well we're just spreading happiness and positivity that's amazing man i because i i think it's something i've i've talked about with a few people just how i think that sometimes the approach of just working with addicts and having these steps just for the addicts it might not be um it, it's a little limited i think that other people even if they're not addicted to a substance or to a behavior they would have a lot of benefit from interacting with people in recovery or uh, learning from this recovery lifestyle and learning from a 12 step or, or one of these approaches or a spiritual lifestyle. One of the things that's helped me in my recovery because of what my addiction was based off of was my emotional and uh, mental immaturity and trauma that I dealt with is emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and emotional sobriety. It's been basically what my sobriety is. The more I learn about how to deal correctly with emotions and mental barriers that I've put up, the easier recovery is for me. Thank you so much for that and for everything else that we've talked about. I think I, I'm serious when I say like, we got to have another conversation. So I'm whether, down, man. I'm whether down. it's a YouTube video or like another podcast, um, I think like we have a lot of shared experiences and shared 
uh, approaches to how to get over this stuff. So I'd love to dive deeper with you. This is like, it doesn't do your story justice really to have the hour, but <laughs> we got to do what we got to do. Um, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Until next time, Frank, take it easy. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you got anything out of what Frank shared, you got to be sure to check him out. He has a Instagram page, which is called Juggalos in Recovery. And the website is juggalosinrecovery.com. Both of those links are going to be up in the, uh, in the description below this. So be sure to check them out. Stay tuned for what else this guy has to offer. And as always, thanks for tuning in. And remember, we recover together. <laughs>